Today's episode is brought to you by Mazars. Sound Cartel. From Sound Cartel, I'm Nicole Goodman, and this is Business Essentials Daily. What makes one team outperform another? Well, several factors might be holding them back. And performance and leadership coach Dan Hasler would like to show you how to recognise those factors and act on them. Dan's worked closely with both corporate leaders and elite athletes, including having helped Australian Olympians and Paralympians prepare for the Tokyo Olympics. His book, The Act of Leadership, takes a close, practical look at leadership and how to get the very best out of your team. Whether it's at the elite sports level or in business, Chris Ashmore asks Dan how leaders can encourage peak performance from their teams. The thing which differentiates high-performing teams from lesser-performing teams is a concept called psychological safety. So the culture of the environment is one in which people can speak up with questions, concerns, challenges, they can talk about mistakes, and they learn from that and they use that to inform the next, you know, iteration of whatever it is they're working on. In lesser performing teams, people don't speak up with questions, concerns, they sweep mistakes under the carpet for fear of what's going to happen if they get exposed. And for me, if I'm working with leaders, you know, the first question I ask is, you know, do people feel able to speak up about things here? And it's quite interesting. Sometimes the leaders that come back to me and say things like, oh, you know, there's no need. Everyone really gets on here. There's never any arguments. There's never any pushback. That for me is actually a bit of a canary in the coal mine because people are seeing this compliance and silence as a sign that they're actually leading really well. And to be clear, they might be, but it might also be a sign that people don't feel able to speak up. And as a result, Our exploration then is to, okay, so what elements of their performance are suffering as a result of that? In your new book, The Act of Leadership, you say it isn't what you know, it's Mm. what you show. Can Mm. you explain? Yeah, so this came about actually because in the introduction of it, I talk about when I um, first, I guess, pitched my services, should we say, to a professional sporting team. And the coach of that team looked back at me and said, yeah, mate, I know all this. I know all this. You're not telling me anything I don't know. And and that was the end of the conversation, you know, pitch failed, see you later. And um, what was really interesting was that in my reflection on this was, I know he knows that, you know, everyone I meet knows that you need to have your people on board when it comes to a change initiative. Everybody knows they need to have difficult conversations. What they don't know is how to do that, how to show up and do that. So I talk about leadership not as being something you know, but as something you show. And those leaders who are all in their head, who think they know it all, I argue as soon as you think you know it all, you've probably stopped leading because part of leading is being doubtful, I guess, and questioning and critical of what's going on. And so constantly trying to learn whether it's new skills, whether it's learn about yourself, but crucially, of course, learn about your people, learn about the people who you're leading, because when it comes to leadership, it's about them more than it is about you. How important is encouraging accountability within a team or organisation? Yeah, I think it's the number, well, I'm not going to 
rank it necessarily as number one, but it's certainly right up there, yeah? I mean, the job of the leader, I think, is to create the conditions for others to to be their best. And you can only be your best if you have that sense of agency, a sense of volition. You know, accountability, I think, has got a bad rap over time. You know, it, it's seen as a negative, oh, they're trying to hold me accountable. And it's like, well, yeah, you should be held accountable. You know, like, I actually see it as a sign of disrespect if people aren't going to hold you accountable, if they're not expecting you to you know, rise to the occasion if they're not expecting you to be capable of, of what it is we're asking you to do. So I actually think accountability is a really good thing. And I think when people have it in the right way, when it's not seen as a checkup or a compliance thing, I think that when people genuinely feel that they are accountable for their work, they tend to perform better. It's very much an intrinsic human desire to have this agency and volition over their work. So I think by encouraging it in the right way, you get better results. We hear from time to time, and there's research indicating that employees, by and large, are not fully engaged in the work they do. Why is that, do you think, and how can that be changed? Well, I think, so some of the research I could talk about in the book is research from Gallup, which look at the, all different workplaces across the world. And in Australia, what they actually find is more people are actively disengaged, i.e. they're causing strife, they're you know undermining, they're trying to get out of the place. More employees are actively disengaged than actively engaged in the workplace. And then the rest, this kind of like middle group are kind of just sort of floating between the two kind of, yeah, you know, I'll turn up, I'll do my work. But if something better comes along, you know, I'm off. And look, it's a really complex issue, I think, as to why people aren't engaged. But I think as leaders and as organisations, again, getting back to understanding that organisations are groups of people, they're tribes of people, and understanding that people have some fundamental requirements in order to authentically engage. And namely, they are, you know, feeling like they belong. So feeling like this, the people around me have got my back, they're not going to stab me in my back. You know, they're buying into something bigger than themselves so that they find purpose. How is their work impacting uh, somebody else or how is it impacting the world, you know, if you want to go to a greater extent? And then within that, how much agency, as we mentioned before, and volition do they have in and around how they go about their work or are they just doing as they're told? And the final one is this idea of mastery, you know, and getting better at something. And it's quite an interesting one because a lot of the time struggle or hard work is kind of, you know, it's got negative connotations around it. But actually, as humans, we love struggling at something so long as those other things were in place. People have got our back. We know why we're struggling and we've got some agency in how we do that struggle. And this is one of the main reasons that um, games are so addictive. We give up games when they become too easy. So long as there's that struggle in there, I'm not talking complete, you know, hitting a brick wall so you become frustrated and throw the phone at the wall because you can't crack the code or whatever. But what I'm saying is, you know, like knowing that you're being stretched, that you're extending yourself in some way, again, so long as those other three things are in place, it's actually one of the most empowering, invigorating feelings you can have, you know, that, oh yeah, I get it. I've done it. You know, and then that then propels you onto the next stretch challenge. So, yeah, I think just really understanding uh, the basics of self-determination theory, intrinsic motivation, and orientating our organisations to encourage that. Well, in the book, you write the carrot and stick approach to leadership is wrong. Why? 
because it runs counter to everything I've just spoken about. So if we've got a carrot and stick, so typically the carrots in organizations tend to be bonuses. They tend to be promotions. They tend to be car spaces, corner offices. And what happens there is you set up this pseudo competition, which all of a sudden means if I'm competing with my colleagues, then that sense of tribiness that I was talking about before, you know, have you got my back? Are you going to stab me in my back? Well, if the carrot is tasty enough, (laughs) I'm probably going to stab you in your back to get that car spot, to get that pay rise. And also we know that the, you know, bonuses, it's an age old story, but everyone's seen it. If you work in anything around sales where you get targets, it literally dampens performance because people make their targets, for argument's sake, say on the 25th of the month, and then roll all their sales from 26th, 27th, 28th into the next month. So they end up making less sales per month, but are rewarded for apparently performing better. So that's the carrot side of it. And the stick thing of it, look, fear fear is not a good motivator in any organisation where you need uh, collegiality, where you need creative thinking, where you're dealing with complex issues. And if working in a global pandemic isn't complex enough, we certainly don't need people fearful that if they make mistakes or if they don't do their job well enough, they're going to be punished. I'm not saying there aren't consequences. That's a very different kettle of fish, and that goes back to the accountability piece. But carrots and sticks, I think they should be consigned to the bin. (laughs) You also write in the book that bosses who try to do everything is not necessarily what the team or the company needs. What do you mean? I mean, quite simply, the boss's job isn't to do the job anymore. The boss's job is to empower others to do the job. And the interesting thing, of course, is that typically bosses have been promoted as a result of being good at the job. So the good sales rep gets promoted to being head of sales. And in their new role, they have to realize that their job is not to make more sales. Their job is to create the conditions for their team to make more sales. And what we see over and over again is when companies appoint their highest performer to be head of sales based purely on performance, then the performance of their direct reports actually reduce in the short and midterm. And this is largely because they don't learn what leadership's about. They kind of learn it on the hop, but a lot of people don't realize that they're no longer responsible for making sales. They're responsible for the people who are making sales. And so this is then compounded, of course, Chris, when they're looking at people and go, why don't you just do your job, mate? You know, and the reality is, well, because you've been doing it for the past six months, you've been stepping in and, you know, shortcutting or tying things up a bit quicker because you want to be efficient. So yeah, for bosses to be able to It's not about letting go of the reins per se, but it's about recognising there are different reins now to be pulling and different reins that need your attention. That's performance and leadership coach Dan Hasler. This episode of Business Essentials Daily is produced by the team at Sound Cartel. Thanks for listening. I'm Nicole Goodman. We'll bring you more B-Daily tomorrow. Follow at BE Daily Podcast across social media and head to bedaily.com.au for more from the Business Essentials Daily Podcast. Sound Cartel. This episode was brought to you by Mazars. To find out more, visit mazars.com.au. That's M A Z A R S.com.au.